In the end, it's not the years in your life that count. It's the life in your years. That is a quote by Abraham Lincoln. Welcome to Trina Talk. Trina Talk is a weekly podcast that will inspire and empower women of all ages to strive for the impossible. Your host, Trina L. Martin from TrinaMartin.com is a motivational speaker, leader, and cybertech expert. Every week, Trina will share wisdom gained from her life experiences and lessons learned while pursuing her goals to inspire you to achieve the next level in your life. Now, your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello, welcome to Trina Talk. I am your host, Trina L. Martin, and this is episode 48. Just a quick reminder, if you would like to be a guest on Trina Talk or if you would like me to be a guest on yours, please go to my website at bit.ly forward slash Trina Martin podcast and submit a request. The topic of this week's episode is perfect peace. My guest this week is Donna Lee Perfect. Donna Lee is a survivor of childhood domestic violence and trauma. She spent a large part of her teenage years living with a schizophrenic alcoholic murderer. As a lifeline suicide prevention counselor and expert on resilience, Donna Lee is passionate about building resilience, curbing domestic violence, and bullying in our community. She has been inspired to develop the Dream Guards Tour of Resilience, Perfect Peace, P-E-A-C-E, Program and Dream Guards Ambassador Program in schools across Australia. Donna Lee is a inspirational keynote speaker and author. Welcome, Donna Lee, um, to the show. How are you today? I'm fabulous. Thank you very much. And I'm very grateful for this opportunity to share a little bit about how I am hoping to make some sort of a positive impact on this world through sharing my story. Yes, and that's what I want you to get into just Go ahead and get into it now. I was looking at your website and reading and learning your story, and I think it's one of sheer inspiration. So why don't you go ahead and share that with the listeners? Sure, Trina. I would love to. Well, uh, I I, uh, came from a a little Western Auckland suburb of Avondale in Auckland, New Zealand. I am the youngest of five siblings, and I am a twin. And I I guess my life was pretty kind of average. I, you know, everything was kind of happy and a, a normal family life as I saw it from my seven-year-old eyes. And then one one morning, my, my life changed dramatically. I, I woke to the piercing screams of my mum and I jumped out of bed. I, sh- I shared my bedroom with my older sister, who was eight years older than me. And I tiptoed to my open bedroom door and I heard my father's voice echo down the corridor, yelling and swearing. And as I stepped into the corridor, I saw a look on my mum's face that I will never forget. It was a look of complete terror as I watched my father chase my mum down the staircase with a knife. Uh, So I was 
kind of in the state of shock and a seven-year-old not really understanding what was going on. Uh, my mother, my mum reached out to try and escape out of the side door of the, of the downstairs foyer area and I witnessed my father drive the knife deep into her back. Um, and as she stumbled along the side path to the front of the house, I, um, I just I saw her collapse to the ground. And, um, you know, I mean, as a seven-year-old, you know, I, I wasn't supposed to see that. I wasn't supposed to see my mum take her last breath. And um, as I was just in complete, I was in complete, delirious trauma at the stage my brothers and and my twin and my sister were gathered around and sirens and and crowds of people just kind of gathered around my my beautiful mum and uh, lifeless body and and uh, I stared back and saw my father and his cold cold callous eyes just staring at me from the back of a police car as he drove away um as you can imagine, Trina, this this moment was just, it seemed like a nightmare and it completely changed my life forever. Um, we were very quickly scooped up by a man in a, in, a, in a uniform and we were taken down to my cousin's house, which was only a few doors down the road. And I remember sitting in the lounge, you know, we were completely traumatised and I remember hearing on the radio the announcement that a woman had been murdered in Avondale. And I just remember feeling that sense of just, is this real? Like it was just the most surreal feeling. It was that, you know, that was my mum. Is that my mum? Is this real? Is this is this a nightmare? Is this... Um, and within days... I was separated from all of my my siblings, including my twin, and put into the first of 13 foster homes. And uh, the first of these homes was actually a blessing. It was the it was the most happiest of the 13 foster homes that I was in. And uh, my brother, actually, my twin brother, joined me at, at this home, and it was a, a Catholic mother, a single mum with two young daughters, and she was very kind, very compassionate, even though I was completely traumatised, devastated, and I would, I was a real handful. I, I was, you know, acting out and just, I couldn't kind of handle my emotions, so... I, I must have been incredibly hard to to kind of deal with, and um, but she used to read stories to me, children's stories to me in bed at night, and we stayed with her I think for about six or seven months, and these stories today have had a profound impact on me as I look back because it enabled me to escape the reality of my life as a seven year old going through this you know, witnessing my mum being murdered, my father going to prison, being separated from all of my siblings and being in a home, a stranger's home with a stranger. It's just, you know, so many levels of trauma. And these stories just enabled me to escape that reality for a little while and into the story and immerse myself in, in the storyline. And 
it was a real blessing in, in those moments uh, to give me a little bit of peace and uh, a little bit of happiness. And so I was I was truly blessed for that. And it's actually taken an amazing journey for me now in my life. But uh, that was the first of, of many foster homes. I, I had another experience in a foster home where the father was an alcoholic and he uh, one day asked me to run a bath for one of the children, one of the other foster children in the home. And I was almost eight and I had no idea actually how to run a bath. So I turned on the hot water and the little girl got in the bath and schooled herself. And he, from then, you know, he just completely, uh, you know, became angry and, and he t took off. He swore and cursed at me and, and told me to go to his bedroom and, and took off his belt of his pants and pulled down my pants and um, just threw me on the bed and just started pounding and pounding into me with his belt until I was bleeding. Um, and then there was another incident in that home where my sister came to visit us and we were locked in our bedrooms, my twin brother and I. And I remember her knocking on the front door and he went to the front door and she wanted to see us. And he said, there's no need to visit your brother and sister anymore. She, they don't love you. They don't need to see you. They're happy here and you don't need to visit anymore. And I remember being in my bedroom just, you know, completely, you know, beside myself, trying to get a message out to my sister and trying to yell out through my bedroom door and everything, which she, of course she couldn't hear. So there was a lot of real ongoing trauma in these foster homes. The foster parents were incredibly abusive on so many levels. And during this time, of course, I went from school to school. So in each foster home was a different school. And so we were just continually moving from school to school and you know, we would just make, I would just make a new friend, friend and then I would be packing my bags and moving again, which made learning extremely challenging for me. And because I was traumatised, because I was probably going through all sorts of emotional problems, I didn't fit in with the rest of the children at school and I tended to isolate myself and and so I was a target for bullies and I was bullied on every level from physical bashing to, you know, being excluded to rumours being spread about me, um, you know, just being made fun of. And I remember when I was a teenager uh, being tormented on my way home from school you know, that I was, you know, uh, I was, I, my mother was, had been murdered and, and that I was, um, you know, a witch and I was living in, in haunted homes and this kind of thing. And it was pretty, it was pretty tough kind of childhood. At 12 years old, uh, in the last foster home, I recall a parcel being delivered to the foster home and I was just an inquisitive young girl and I asked what was in the parcel and the foster mother turned to me and she said, you are a nosy little bitch. You don't deserve anything. You don't deserve to know anything. 
and how dare you ask what's in the parcel that is none of your business. She dragged me by the hair into the kitchen and put all these pieces of paper down on the table and said, you're going to sit here and write 1,000 times, I am a nosy little bitch. And then she cut them up and stuck them all over the wall in the in the um, lunchroom or the, the, the room, the dining room where we ate our breakfast, lunch and dinner, where all the other children, the foster kids, were able to see these notes and, and you know, make fun of me and everything. Um, so that was a sort of emotional abuse that, that um, I was subjected to. And then at, at one of these days during this last foster home, uh, the, foster, the foster social welfare uh, authority came to, came to the house and uh, gave me a very, very difficult decision to make a decision I don't think a 12-year-old should be making. But he said, uh, Donna, you've got two choices. You can stay in foster care until you're 18, which for me meant, you know, whatever, except whatever abuse has been dished out to me for the next six years until I'm 18. Or you can return to your father, who's been released from prison. But the most traumatic part of that decision was I had to go back to the house where he murdered my mum. Mm. So that was an incredibly difficult decision for me to make. I chose to return to my father because I would be reunited with my older brothers and my twin, which we were kind of, you know, on and off, we were separated through this foster home service system. My sister was already old enough and flatting, so she didn't have to return back to the house. But it enabled me to have a connection with my siblings again that really meant the world to me. Mm-hmm. So the following five years, you know, I was living with an alcoholic father that was schizophrenic, uh, that was violent and um, so unpredictable in his behaviour. And that was trauma on so many levels. I can't even begin to explain. Um, So my brothers and I kind of uh, were taking marijuana on a regular basis and trying to numb our pain with with drugs and alcohol uh, to get through these years that we were living with this absolute, you know, madman, really. Um, he, He slept with the knife next to his bed every night. And he was constantly threatening us with violence. So my brothers and I had like a, we had an emergency plan in case something went wrong and he he would attack one of us. We all had our kind of muster stations of where we needed to, you know, um, report to in case something went wrong. So that was the kind of level of fear we were living in in this home. And at 17, he drank himself to death. So I, I, uh, this was the time when I guess I was free from him and where I sort of woke up from my nightmare. And one, one cold night I reached out to Lifeline, which is, a, you know, an organisation here that's a 24-hour sort of support service where you can speak to counsellors on the line. And, and that started a really amazing journey for me because I invested in myself and, and worked through my trauma and, and got a lot of therapy and on lots of different kind of treatments. And I became a lifeline 
volunteer telephone crisis counsellor with suicide prevention training and and I volunteered on the telephones in Sydney for two years and that was an extraordinary kind of experience for me to be giving back and, and helping others and people that were suicidal on the phones that I was able to kind of support and, and be there just to listen and and um, yeah during this time I got married and I had my two beautiful children and and then we moved to the Gold Coast and um, my life, my, my marriage broke up. And um, and since then, I I met my husband today. And the, the, the journey that I have been on over the last seven years is nothing short of extraordinary. My husband is an international comedian and he's been an entertainer for 25 years. And he was the, the stunt performer at the Police Academy stunt show here at Warner Brothers Movie World on the Gold Coast for 16 years. Very famous for his role, warming up the crowd and, and entertaining people. And And we met on an online dating site and the connection was just incredible. Um, we both believed in vision boards and he put out in, in his vision board that he was going to one day meet the perfect woman. And it was just incredible how he shares the story with me that he had this vision of the sort of woman he wanted to meet and this perfect woman. And after some weeks of communicating online with him, he found out my name was Donnelly Perfect. And he's just like, oh, wow, you know, it, it, this this vision has come true on so many levels and it's just extraordinary. He's a New Zealander as well, and we have so many connections back home, which we never knew about. And and so um, one day, you know, I, I, I became a qualified personal trainer. I went and studied, and and my, my passion was to curb childhood obesity because we now in Australia have actually surpassed the obesity rates worldwide per capita. And we now have genetic obesity. Children are born with more fat cells than ever before. And it's a real problem. And I wanted to work with children and help them to understand the importance of eating healthy and exercising every day. And my husband's an amazing balloon artist and magician as well. And he was already kind of entertaining children on cruise ships around the world. And I said, why don't we do a show together? And I can incorporate some amazing you know, a uh, healthy kind of lifestyle and a little bit of exercise and get up and do a workout with the kids and talk about health and nutrition. And you can have, be the fun side and you can be doing all the magic. And and uh, so we started this amazing kind of show and it was called, it's called The Dream Guards. And this show has just evolved over the last five years to something just phenomenal. And one day in a meditation, I went into this meditation with an intention to come up with some tools that were going to help children to deal with bullying in their lives and using the universal sign for stop, which is the hand up high in the air. And so I went into this meditation and I wanted to come up with a message or an acronym using the universal hand. And on waking from this meditation, my peace tools were born. And I... I expressed this to my husband. I said, these peace tools just have come to me in a meditation and they're just phenomenal. I don't know where they've come from, but they've just come to me and and I want to go through them with you. And he said, oh my gosh, you tell me about it. 
So I said, well, the P stands for protect yourself and be powerful. And if you stand tall with your shoulders back and your head high, it's statistically proven you're less likely to be bullied or abused because you're showing yourself to be confident. And the E stands for escape the situation. Always trust your instincts. Walk away, run away, and online turn off your device. Never allow anyone to abuse you. And then the A stands for armor yourself, using your amazing tool, your imagination. Build a powerful armor around your body so other people's opinions don't matter in your world. And I said, a lion never loses sleep over the opinions of sheep. So be the lion. And then the C in peace stands for create strong friendships in your community of like-minded people that show you compassion, kindness, and have your back. And E, express your emotions. Reach out for the help and support you need if you're being bullied or abused. And be the upstander in your community and, you know, help others in need. And he just went, wow, this is just amazing. And I said, yeah, and I need to share a story with you. And he said, what is that story? And I said, it's my story. And I just told him what had gone on in my life and my story. And he said, Donna, you need to share the story in our show. You need to share the story with children and adults because what you have been through and what you have overcome is phenomenal. And you are going to inspire so many people to overcome adversity, to you know, because of your journey and, and your experiences, it's going to inspire people to believe in themselves and know they can overcome these challenges in their life and live a life of purpose and passion. And so that's what I, I did. So part of the show then evolved into these peace tools and me sharing my story. And it's just been an incredible journey that's evolved now into me becoming an inspirational speaker sharing my story and domestic violence events around the community and just recently being asked to share my story in the first inaugural Her Story Women's Empowerment, uh, Women's Global Empowerment magazine. And uh, I submitted my 1,000 words to that magazine. Then Gertrude Machis, who is the founder of Her Story's Global Women's Empowerment Movement asked me to submit 10,000-word manuscript of my story to the inaugural Her Story anthology book, which I did. I had six days to submit that 10,000-word uh, fully professionally edited manuscript to her. And she rang me immediately after and said, now I want you on the inaugural Her Story stage and I said wow okay I would love that you know and I actually was thinking this was in Wellington New Zealand because that is where Gertrude lives and that's uh, where you know she wanted to the first inaugural event to start and I said yeah of course thinking this is Wellington I would love to do that she said it's in four weeks in Las Vegas and I went mm. wow okay I need to give this some thought because I have just spent all of my money on this amazing children's series that I've written. And these children's series is all part of my journey of this amazing, extraordinary experience I had as a foster child when I was seven 
coming from a completely traumatized background, having this experience of being read to, and moving forward years later, when the New Zealand government looked into all of the abuse of foster children in the foster welfare system, and they investigated my file over nine years. They came and actually interviewed me on the Gold Coast, and it took them nine years to investigate my file, and they gave me a small amount of compensation money for the abuse that I had um, experienced. I wanted that money to make a significant impact on children's lives moving forward. And I put it aside and I knew that something was going to come to me um, in some way, in, in intention, in, in making a difference with this money. And then one day uh, I decided that I was going to write a series about my daughter, Jessie, and our rescue dog, Rocky Rockstar. And these stories have just been channeled to me. and. They, it's the adventures of Jesse and Rocky Rockstar. These stories are coming out in about four weeks, and they're stories about how Rocky Rockstar is teaching Jesse about everyday life, about the life lessons, and about compassion and kindness, and treating animals and people with respect, and just sharing their everyday adventures. And so, the first two books are coming out in four weeks: uh, Rescue Puppy and a Puppy Rescue and Tiger. And this has just been this amazing journey and, and it's it's coming full circle back. Um, and so now I'm, I'm sharing my story in Las Vegas on the 23rd of July, which is, I leave this coming Saturday and I will be sharing my peace tools on that stage. I will be the 10th speaker, the first of 1,000 events worldwide where 1 million women will be sharing their stories to inspire people around the world. And I will be sharing these peace tools. I will be sharing my story. I will be sharing uh, my uh, the amazing global gratitude chain, which has become a movement. And I believe if we wake with the intention of gratitude each and every day and just reflect on the true miracle of being alive, um, then, you know, and, and so I started this gratitude idea and I ask people to contribute just something they're grateful for in a small coloured strip of paper. And I started this tiny little gratitude chain. And it's become a movement now. It's over 110 metres long. I am receiving gratitude links from all over the world. And some of these gratitude links are incredibly profound. I read three of them on the stage uh, you know, professors that have survived helicopter crashes, inspirational speakers that have escaped the Bosnian war and survived, and children that are expressing, you know, their gratitude for food on their plates. And and it's and so I'm taking this on the stage in Las Vegas in, what, in a week's time. And uh, it's just phenomenal. It's, I, that's my story, Trina. <laughs> <It's>, wow. <laughs> Wow. Um, wow. That, that's, that's amazing. First of all, I'm, I, I hate that you had to see what you saw as a child. Um, did your father ever express remorse for what he did? No, no. In fact, it was never spoken about. Wow. wow. Which was the scary part, you know. Um, you're walking on eggshells the whole time. Right. 
Right. And you said he slept with a knife by his bed. So were were you children ever in danger? Did I mean, did you guys? Oh, my goodness. Did you guys want to leave? I mean, I know after being in foster care, which was not a good place to be, you guys decided, well, we'll take the lesser of the two evils and go back to the home that we knew and the father. But I mean, how did you just, and I'm trying to think of a way to say this, but how did you come to a point where you were able to get past that and say, you know what, I'm going to stand on my story and I'm going to tell it so that it can help someone else? Well, many, many years, many years. In fact, I only shared my story with very in a very intimate kind of group of friends. In fact, my first husband never really knew my story and he never asked me about my life really. So I'd never shared it with him. And what I really struggled with when I shared my story with close friends was their reaction to my story, more so than me sharing it. It, it, it was a very strange kind of feeling. It was like I had kind of moved past in an extent to be able to share or express it to them but their response to or reaction to my story made that difficult for me and so I guess that was a cleansing process that took a long time and I never ever ever thought that I would be sharing my story in a book, sharing my story on a stage, sharing my story in, sh- in a sh- dream guards in, in children's schools, in high schools, um, and, and be inspiring so many. I really never thought that this would be a possibility. Wow. And I can relate to what you're saying about not sharing your story because just as you and I were speaking before um, we decided to start the interview, I had a, a very, very abusive mother, and it really affected me. And it's nothing like, you know, your life, but it was very, very bad. And I've never really told anybody the story because most people wouldn't believe that a mother would treat their child so badly. Mm. But just here recently, I've started telling my story, and I'm in the process of writing a book and telling my story, and like you're saying, um, using my story to inspire and empower other people, Mm. and it's just amazing, and I I never, you know, even family members, I kind of shunned myself from them because my mother would turn her verbal abuse against me and tell people how I was such a bad daughter. Yes. And yes. so, so I never, you know, I never said anything to anyone because I thought, well, they, they won't believe me. But isn't it amazing how we can take that trauma and we can turn it around and it can actually help someone else? It's an incredible gift, Trina. And, and I really, truly believe that this is all what I call our dharma. And it was all planned out for us on conception when we were born you know this Mm -hmm. this whole plan of our life is actually part of you know uh, our journey and uh, you know we were meant to go through these uh, this adversity and and I you know I feel grateful 
for it because it's enabled me to be resilient. And so many children today are lacking resilience. And so by me sharing my story and my peace tools, I'm developing resilience in children, which is so needed because we are losing children every single day to suicide, Mm -hmm. from bullying, from cyberbullying, and that they are not coping because they don't have the resilience that they need within them to overcome these challenges. And this is such a complex problem on so many levels, but a lot of this problem is is that parents are, are rescuing their children far too often from consequences, natural consequences in their life. And it's through us failing, it's through us, you know, these consequences um, and, and us getting through the adversity and the challenges and, and failing. And, and this is where we learn and grow the most. And if we keep getting rescued from this failure and, and these consequences, then we never, ever grow, develop uh, coping mechanisms and resilience. I totally, I totally agree with you. Um, The suicide rate and the bullying that goes on nowadays with children is, it's just, it's sickening. It's, I just can't believe. And like you said, it's because they can't cope. Now, Hmm. I don't, I, I don't know how old your children are now, but when did you decide that it was a good time to share your story with your children? Well, actually, it was really, it was quite a an interesting thing with my daughter. I went through, I went through a really tough time when she turned seven. It was, it was really profound uh, because it was almost like I was, I was making sure she was okay. I, I, it was so weird. I, I can't even really express this, but. As soon as she turned eight, I had this relief about me. Wow, okay, she's good. Everything's good. Uh, because so much happened to me as a seven-year-old. And so having a daughter go through that kind of year was, I don't know, it was, I've got goosebumps talking about it now. And it wasn't until this kind of evolution of this Dream Guard show and me expressing to my husband and sharing my story with him and him telling me what a profound impact this is going to have on children's life that I then really opened up to my children. Um, My children, my son's 20 now and my daughter's nearly 17 and they are so proud, like beyond proud of what I'm doing, you know, with my story on the stage and in my book. It's, you know, it's just... It's such a blessing and I am so grateful that they are proud of me because a lot of my family is not. Um, my twin brother and I don't have a relationship anymore, sadly. And um, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't agree with what I do and, and um, he's gone into a very dark place and, and I all I do is send him love and, that, and that's all I can do. But um, I need to go on this journey and my brother, who I spoke about before the interview who um, passed away sadly three years ago from cancer and lived in Memphis Tennessee for 24 years I opened up to him on a very deep level about all of our experience as as children and he had his own experiences as well you know that were different from mine he was older and so he experienced things differently and and I expressed my intention to want to 
share my story and he was so proud. He, he was so proud and I read a couple of my scripts that I was preparing to share on stages and he, I remember him being on the phone just crying and this was on his deathbed, you know, he was, he was only weeks away from dying. And for me now, he's with me. Him and my mum are with me every single time. I am on that stage sharing my story. They are my angels that are with me. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I share the story in honour of, of my mum and all victims of bullying and domestic violence that no longer have a voice. Wow. And, and that was a question I wanted to ask you. With your siblings, how... How are they, um, how did they end up after this whole experience? Because you guys all, you said, except for your oldest sister, you all went back to that home with your father and, you know, and everybody processes everything differently. Mm-hmm. How, how did they process, if, if, you, if you knew, I mean, maybe they kept it to themselves. How did your siblings process that and how did they turn it around or did they turn it around for themselves well for for quite a long time they turned to drugs you know to 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 numb that pain and and so they became quite kind of addicted to to marijuana and that kind of thing and uh so that was one way that they kind of dealt with it during and directly after uh my my older brother that that passed away is uh, he really buried himself in his work. He's very, very motivated, highly energetic sort of person, very ambitious. And so he tended to bury himself in his work and, and got himself really busy all the time. Uh, you know, like he was never, he was never kind of just still and, and, so incredibly kind of achieving, high achieving. And mm-hmm. so that was kind of his way of dealing with it. My twin brother, he worked, he went and got some help, uh, some some help from a psychologist and and he he went down a different route, like ended up on antidepressants and stuff. And I don't know to this day whether he's still on those, but uh, he, he has a wife that's a child psychologist and and. Uh, just I, she didn't wasn't supportive of me at all or our relationship. I think she may have been threatened, to be honest, of how close we were, and so that's become quite uh, um, estranged now, which is unfortunate. Um, and my sister and I, we we are quite close, and she's quite spiritual, and so we we connect on a kind of spiritual basis, which is lovely. And I think that's kind of evolving even more as we get older. And so that's that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so it's been very mixed, Trina. Yeah, I can imagine. And and you said, because, uh, you know, I believe in God and I'm spiritual as well. And it took me a while to get to the point with my situation. But you mentioned something um, previously. You said that um, our traumas were what we were, you know, meant to go through because that made us resilient and to get to where we are today to tell our story, how long, how long was it that it, let me rephrase it. When did you, when did you get to that place where you 
could accept that and realize that because I know for me, it took me probably almost 10 years ago before I finally said, okay, this is what I was meant to go through to make me the person that I am. Because before that, I was just wondering, you know, why, why is my mother like this? Why me? Why, you know, that type of thing. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. And so then we can kind of fall into that victim mentality, can't we? Where uh, worries me, poor me, why did it happen to me and not you and, and all that kind of thing. And if we, you know, if we actually see it for the gift it is, and Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it frees us up. It frees our soul up uh, by doing that, to to see the beauty in, in in these experiences. And I think it's been for me an evolving thing, and it still is evolving. And you know, I I think it, it, when you start to go on the spiritual journey, you you kind of take little gifts from each part of that process and and kind of process it through your own experiences and and yet you take little little slices of it and say well yeah that's right um and it's this enlightening kind of ex- uh, this enlightening experience where you you start to appreciate this and it's not something that happened overnight it's not something that well, you know, all of a sudden one day I felt really dark and then the, this message came to me or whatever. It's 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 kind of immersing yourself in where you need to be to elevate you to a higher place of consciousness. I really believe that. So for me, I listen to a lot of really inspiring podcasts about this kind of journey that's that's helping put the little pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together and I listen to Dr Wayne Dyer a lot and 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 I mean he's just a spiritual master in my opinion and he's been a big influence on me a massive mentor for me and you know he talks a lot about how this is all you know it's way before we're even here on that we have this this journey and we doubt it and we ask ourselves and we question why, why did this happen? And why am I in so much pain and why do I have to suffer and why this? And, and, and if we can just kind of embrace it and, and actually recognize that in every single challenge and every single adversity we face in our life, there is a gift in it. There is a life lesson in everything. And if we can see those little gifts and say, well, you know, yeah, it is hard. It is hard when we lose somebody we love. It is hard when we go through a breakup. It is hard when, you know, a friend removes themselves from us or whatever. But if we can really look at that as a gift and it's helped us to be stronger or more resilient or actually it's taken us on a a better path, a path of higher consciousness or a a path of where we need to be in in our life, then we look at these things with an open mind and less kind of attachment to it, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's... Yeah, and you d- you definitely have to come to that point where you are mature enough to open up your mind, like you said, and see that mm, it, it mm. was it was all for your good. It was leading you on the journey that you were created to go down. Absolutely, 
Absolutely. And what a gift, you know, that if you can turn it around, I mean, you know, sadly, many people can't and that, you know, they, they end up, you know, they end up dying, suiciding, or they end up, you know, um, kind of being in that victim mentality forever where they're blaming others and they're, you know, always kind of, you know, not ever looking within themselves and, and taking responsibility for every, each and every day we have a choice. And what I, I love is, you know, Viktor Frankl, what he says, you know, he was a, uh, he was a survivor of, of um, the um, Auschwitz um, concentration. And, you know, he was there for years and years. His whole family was, you know, um, was gassed to death and he survived. And what he, and he writes the book, you know, what a man's meaning to life. And it's, you know, we have a choice each and every day how we choose to look at our life. And, and you know, I say quite often, it's the, the success formula of life, which is E plus R equals O. E equals event. What is the event that's happened in your life? What is it? What, what's what's happened? And what our response to that event is will give us the outcome. So how we choose to respond to the event. So during this years in concentration camp, he decided, he chose to look at his circumstances, which were torturous every single day, to find the beauty in it. In, in every single moment where he you know people were being tortured he was being tortured and to find the 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 beauty and the people that were torturing him the 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 gift of beauty in it and and one day a, a, a fish head was delivered to him in a bowl a floating fish head was his meal his supper it was fly infest infested and he looked at this fish head floating in a bowl and he chose to look at the beauty and the gift and the gratitude in this fish head, this gift of, of food and sustenance. Now, that's incredible. Yes. Wow. It's our choice. You know, uh, we don't have a choice on, on, on the event. And for me, the event was my mother was murdered. But now I have a choice on how I respond to that event. I could choose to be victim. I could choose to stay in that mentality of, oh, my gosh, this is what happened to me as a seven-year-old. And, and, you know, I've turned to the bottle because of it. And, you know, I'm just feeling sorry for me every, every day and, and, and I'm blaming you because this is why I am the way I am. And, or I can choose to look at that event and all the, the gifts that have come out of it that I can now share with the world. And so the outcome of that is I'm speaking in Vegas in a few days, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, that is so powerful, so powerful. And I think if more people had that mindset, the world would just be a better place. There would be more people living happier lives, living the life that they were created to live instead of complaining and blaming and, like you said, being the victim all their lives mm -hmm. because mm. it is it's something that we can get past you don't mm. have to be the victim mm. you know things happen to you and that's life but it's how you deal with them yes 
That's exactly right. And, and you know, you've got to ask the question of yourself, is this serving me? Is this serving me? Is this getting me to my higher place of consciousness where I really want to be, you know, uh, you know, at peace, at tranquility, at harmony, and where I can serve others? Is, mm-hmm. is, this, is this taking me to that position? Wow. So um, one quick question of you before we go into my questions. But how is your um, your dream guard? How is that being received? Because you um, with the children, have you gotten any feedback as far as maybe a life that was saved because of your program? Oh my gosh, it's just incredible, Trina. I mean, um, there's been so many, and you know, I'm talking about. Let me just share three little stories with you. The the first one was uh, we went to the children's hospital here in Brisbane and I we went to entertain the children just just in the cancer ward actually. These children are, are, are dying of cancer. Little kids, little toddlers, little babies, little children. And my husband and I were asked to go up and entertain the kids. Now my husband's a magician. He's got all these amazing things. We couldn't do the balloons. That's not allowed in hospitals. So, mm-hmm. But we he had these magic tricks. And I, and I was actually thinking to myself, well, well, Michael's got it covered, but I don't know what I'm going to do. because. And so I was feeling a bit insignificant. I was feeling like, oh, I don't know what. How am I going to entertain these kids? Because we were sort of going individually, if you know what I mean, from one room to another trying to do things. And, and I took in these rainbow fans, which I – take on the stage and I just kind of wave them around and I, I'm not a dancer. I, I love dancing, but I'm not a professional dancer, but I wave these beautiful rainbow fans around and get the beautiful energy in the room before our show starts. And I thought I'm going to take the rainbow fans. So they're just a fan with a rainbow, beautiful silk fabric that flows off the fan, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought I'm going to take these in and I'm just going to kind of, you know, float around the ward and go in and out of the rooms well, I went into this one room and this little Asian girl with her mum, her mum was sitting on the bed and this little Asian girl, she would have been about two years old, I think. She was standing up, holding on to her, um, her drip, her drip feed thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, the actual trolley. And she was standing there holding on to that. And I came in with these rainbow fans and I, I realised very quickly the mother couldn't speak English. And I came in, I said, good morning, everything. And she, you know, can't speak English. And so I I walked in, I started dancing around this room. And this little girl just came up to the fabric, the silk of these rainbow fans as they were floating around. And she pressed her face up against them. And she just flowed with them back and forth and dancing and flowing and smiling. and, And I just... I got goosebumps talking about it. It's just the most phenomenal experience. And her mum just sat on the bed and tears were just rolling down her face. And I stayed in there for a few minutes and then kind of danced out. And all she did was she gave me the prayer position and just said, you know, said mm-hmm. thank you kind of thing. Um, that was one profound kind of, you know, moment. Um, 
Then there was a show that we did, and this little boy was actually a, dysfun- a dysfunctional school. It was disengaged kids that have dropped out of mainstream schooling because of, um, you know, all sorts of uh, problems at home and dysfunctional backgrounds and everything. So um, these are kids from the age of about 10 up to 16, and they're troubled kids, you know. They've seen and, and experienced a lot in their lives. And so we went and did a presentation at the school, and this little boy, and he actually looked a bit like Harry Potter, and he was about 10, I think, and he came up to us at the end of the show. And he had tears kind of welling up in his eyes, and he came up to me while Michael was standing next to me, and he said, how do you do it? And I was thinking, how do we do the magic? Is that what you mean? What do, what do you mean? And he said, how do you do it? How do you get up there and share your story the way you do? You have inspired me so much today um, because of your story. And, ah, uh, you know, <laughs> what can you say to that? Like, you, you know, you, it's just those moments that are just. And then we went to a high school, 750 students, and I shared my story on the stage. It was pretty raw and real because we're talking teenagers and it had to be. And uh, uh a girl, a 14-year-old girl, reached out to us on Instagram through uh, social media and she sent me a, a message and she said, thank you for sharing your story with me today. You have no idea of the profound impact it's made on me. I was ready to end my life. Mm. And your story has turned my whole life around. Thank you. Wow. That's- enough for me. (laughs) Yeah. And that makes, you know what? And that makes it all worthwhile, doesn't it? When you know you've told your story and it saved someone from taking their own life. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Oh man. Okay. We're going to get into something a little lighter. We're going to go into the questions. Okay. (laughs) Wow. All right. Who or what motivates you? Who or what motivates me? I have, uh, well, okay, probably probably my mum uh, because of her story untold. I, I think that's probably my biggest motivator is I really feel this sense of uh, fulfilling her, sharing her story, my story, and the hope that I inspire others. So she would be my biggest motivator. Okay. What demotivates you? What demotivates me? People that, people that are, people that are uh, too quick to judge others I feel is a big demo. I, I I just I I tend to shift away from people that are living in a space in their life that is victim mentality, or they're wanting to blame others for their life, or um, you know. So I that demotivates me. I don't I don't want to be around people like that. So I I choose not to have that proximity. Okay. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked for your good? Uh, for my good. 
Oh, look, I think it. I think it would definitely have to be my twin brother expressing to me that he thought me being on the stage as a dream guard with rainbow socks in my 40s was absolutely ridiculous. Hmm. Uh, and I looked ridiculous and, uh, you know, to grow up and get on with my life. And I think that's been a massive, you know, shift for me because when I'm on the stage in my rainbow socks, that is one of the connections my the audience, the children love about me and express, you know, constantly that, that they love the colours, they love the rainbow socks, they love all that. So, yeah, that's probably, <laughs> yeah. Okay. What is your fear? What is my fear? What is my fear? I guess, well, my fear, you know, as any parent, I guess, is, is you know, your children, you, you're losing your children before you pass away. I think that's probably the biggest fear I have as a, as a mum, as a parent. Okay. Yeah. Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Um, I did. Um, geez, never think of that one. Um, yes. Um, it was when so when a, a family member had shared something very personal with me that. I shared with another family member and that family member found out and that probably it had an impact on our relationship. Mm. So my intention was to be sharing it to kind of get a little bit more support around a very significant kind of issue. And, yeah, I regretted doing that. Okay. Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? I think you just gave me that clip. Yeah. The other one was, if, if you want to go back, the other question was, wish that you had that you had done something that you didn't. Done something that I didn't. Uh, I, I guess there was one time where we were asked to to do a charity event and we get asked to do charity events weekly. So it's a really, you know, it's a constant thing. And, you know, there's there's a, got to be a balance between, you know, us kind of make, make, making money to put food on our family's table as well. And so there was a charity event that we turned down and it wasn't because we were busy. It was just we kind of had a moment where we were, probably feeling a little bit self-centered and it was an event that when you know when it happened we wished we'd were, we'd been a part of so yeah so it was that kind of moment of probably um selfishness okay what is your definition of success 
living your authentic life purpose. and serving others. Mm. How do you recharge? Oh, wow. That's a great question for me. Um, okay, so I have a, a ritual every morning. I I wake with gratitude. I have a gratitude journal that I write in. Then I meditate and then I work out. I go outdoors and I get vitamin D from sunshine and I do a high-intensity kind of workout. I run and I, I skip uh, and I take the take the, my rescue dog, Rocky Rockstar, with me and we go outdoors. And well, the skipping is really significant for me because this, when you skip, and I'm talking not about a skipping rope, I'm talking about skipping down the road like a child. It brings out the child in you. Mm. And I believe it's a double dose of dopamine. And why I say that is because when I skip, I smile. And when people see me skip, they smile too, mm. which connects a community through dopamine. And so what I say on the stage, and this is part of my talk, is put a skip in your day and keep depression away. Hmm. Okay. What are you awesome at? Connecting. I think I'm really, yeah, I, that's my number one strength. Uh, I love connecting people. I love bringing people together to collaborate and uh, to see the gifts in others and be able to share and, and connect people to, to kind of uh, reach out to each other. So I think that's an amazing thing. Okay. What legacy do you want to leave? I want to leave a legacy. My, my saying is, uh, my saying is, uh, overcoming adversity is my university. Mm. And I believe that all adversity in our life, all challenges, all suffering, all gifts, all, you know, uh, all of the beautiful experiences we have, all part of our life journey. And we need to embrace each and every one of them. And so I, my legacy is about inspiring others to see that their journey and their experiences are all part of their gift and that through that they can serve and give and, and create a more connected, uh, loving, abundant world. Mm. Good, good, good. Okay, Donna Lee, give the audience one motivational takeaway. Just believe that you are a unique, beautiful human being, perfect in every single way, just like the trees, just like the flowers, just like the animals that live on this planet. You were born unique. You were born beautiful. You are unique. You are beautiful. Embrace 
those beautiful, unique parts about you. Go out there. Make a difference in the world. Serve others. And live a life of abundance in every aspect. Okay. Give the listeners, we'll tell the listeners how they can connect with you. Please reach out to me on my website, which is Donna Lee with a hyphen, L-E-I-G-H, perfect.com. Facebook, Donna Lee Perfect. I'm also on Instagram. And please reach out to the Global Gratitude Chain. I would love you to be part of this amazing global gratitude movement. Send in your link of gratitude. It's a six centimeter by 21 centimeter strip of colored paper. I am grateful for whatever it might be you are. Put your name, send it to me in PO Box 70, Varsity Lakes, Queensland, 4227, Australia, and be part of this amazing gratitude of, you know, abundance a mindful moment of reflecting on what you are grateful for in your life. Wow. Now, how long are you going to be collecting links for your chain? How, how big do you want it to get? Uh, my plan is to take this global gratitude chain on the Ellen DeGeneres show, and I want to show this chain to, to Oprah Winfrey. So that is the big picture for me. This, this, this chain has so much incredible energy in it, mindful moments of people sharing, you know, profound, uh, you know, things that they're grateful for in their life. And so it will be as long as it will be. There's no, you know, finite length to this chain. Mm. I have a vision that this chain is going to be in some sort of a huge 40-foot container outside Ellen DeGeneres's. Uh, studio and it's going to be flowing out of that studio uh, out of that uh, count container and into the studio and it's it's just you know bringing in this beautiful gratitude uh, to her show and around the world wow. so this yeah it's just that's my vision that's my vision and uh, you know Trina I would really I would really encourage you um, and all of the listeners, all of the female listeners that have a story to share, to please reach out to Gertrude Machis, who has a vision to bring one million women together globally to share their messages on in 1,000 events worldwide. And so she's bringing 1,000 events worldwide where 100 Women speakers will speak on every one of those events and each speaker will invite 10 women, bringing 1 million women together to inspire through stories. Wow. Yes, I'm, I'm very interested in that. Wow. Life and, and please keep in touch. Oh, I definitely, I definitely will. And you, you please, you do the same. Hopefully this is not the last time that we'll speak to each other. Thank you so much, Trina. Thank you. If you like Trina Talk, please don't forget to go out to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their life? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. 
Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination. You can listen to Trina Talk anytime and anywhere. It's available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and all other places that you can listen to podcasts. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you have questions for me or need inspiration on how to go to the next level, tweet me directly at Trina L. Martin.